Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hi guys, Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc, researcher. And guess what, Santosh? What a, it's what a, not just the Travel Medicine podcast this week. I'm oh excited. man, oh man, are we having a wonderful guest? We're not just having a wonderful guest, we're having a whole other wonderful guest's podcast too. <laughs> it, is, it is a double the dose of healthy goodness. So for the first segue, it's certainly not going to be my terrible segue. I'm just going to hand the mic over so our guest can do their own intro. And this is your guest, uh, Santosh's old roommate, Dr. Avi Ramchandani. And I am with the Painless Health Podcast. It's good to, ha- good to be with you guys today. It's so nice Yay. to have you back. And I think it's important we mention that having noted you were Santosh's former roommate, there will be at least one embarrassing roommate story told. Just one? I only episode. get one? <laughs> I said at least. At least. He, he, he put a floor on it. He put a floor on it. But I mean, lucky for me, I, I'm uh, very uh, debonair, suave. I don't do mm. any of that childish such and such. Oh, uh, never, never childish? Did. Yeah. Your entire field is childish. <laughs> True. <laughs> Mine can no, be too. Don't... Fine. Does it deal with children? Yes. What? Child-ish. <laughs> Well, we were children when we were roommates, you know. What? How well, you, I mean, sort of. We, were, like we were in med school. Something. I mean, it was exactly. Is it we were like children, like the Muppet Babies, <laughs> something yes. like that. <laughs> we did make our dreams come true. Remember we'll the dartboard in our in our uh, living room? Yeah, we made so many holes in the wall. 
<laughs> did we ever spackle that before we moved out, or did we just lose a bunch of money on the safety deposit? No, no, we spackled it, but we did not paint it. Oh, that's right. We spackled but didn't paint. Yeah, uh, that was I, fantastic. I, I, I was bad at darts. As exciting we were... as it is to literally listen to paint dry. <laughs> Spackle. We didn't Spackle. paint. We didn't paint. <laughs> uh, this week, we're going to have a fun little bit of reviewing on our side, the history of physiatry. There's some weird stuff that I found out in the creation of your field, Avi, and I don't know how aware of it you are. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's totally weird. And then we will hand over, and what what will the actual medicine portion of this week's podcast be about? I think we should talk about back pain. What do you think? Oh, oh, I like that. I've had some low back pain recently. Also some neck pain. So oh, I guess no. my neck, my back. No, my physiatrist. no, 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 no. <laughs> I've got my physiatrist uh, when they crack. <laughs> we, uh, you know, I, I can talk about neck, back, thoracic. You want to talk about foot pain? We can talk about any sorts of pain, you know, whatever you God. want. <laughs> I, can't I can also having, talk about Santos for about an hour or so. Having... Just all sorts of shakes over here. Would you guys please stop putting <laughs> neck and back right after that and then just weirdly stopping that lyric? This is We have children listening to this podcast, potentially. <laughs> Santosh just took a DNA test. Turns out he's 100% that kid. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So just real briefly, I'm going to do a quick ancient history of physiatry and by ancient i mean like 1920s because that's oh, nice. when physiatry really started right <laughs> it it did uh following world war one you had originally a lot of soldiers coming back in various states of deconditioning or amputation or immobile and they needed something to do with them you know they had to have some way to reintegrate these long-term ill people into society and originally the only things available were kind of hot springs so you see a lot of paintings and photos of just huge long spas full of barracks um, so this kind of medical retreat or concept of a medical retreat began back then but in 1921 franklin delano roosevelt developed a high fever and lower extremity paralysis from a little infection around the time known as polio Oh, yeah. After the acute phase of polio, but before he became the Professor X figure we know and love today, he had to go undergo rehabilitation at Warm Springs, Georgia, where therapeutic swimming and sun exposure were thought to help him regain leg strength and physical endurance. He thought this was just the bee's knees. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh as with a lot of the things we talk about here, it's going to be kind of, well, there was probably some idea for rehabilitation that was perpetuated, but it's really going to get kickstarted by a famous figure. Yeah. So once he had recovered, he believed in the program so much that he bought the whole property wow. and turned it into a comprehensive rehabilitation center to help others with polio regain their independence. 
So the very first services offered included heliotherapy or, you know, tanning, I'm guessing, uh, <laughs> swimming, exercise, training in orthotic use, muscle reeducation. That's right, stupid muscles, and then <laughs> occupational and recreational therapy. So Warm Springs, Georgia is believed by most historians to be the very first comprehensive rehabilitation facility. Uh, how similar does that look to kind of physiatry facilities today, Avinash? Uh, very different. Physiatry has come a long way. It was in one way, you know, Initially, it was so raw, and now it's completely different in the sense that people do physical therapy, formal physical therapy in a rehabilitation unit, along with occupational therapy, speech therapy. These are things that normally happen in rehabilitation from strokes or spinal cord injuries or brain injuries or whatever it may be, but there's formal requirements now in every unit, of course, our insurance companies have said, oh, you need to be doing this, this, and this. So they're very different than they used to be. You can't just have uh, heliotherapy or whatever it may be. <laughs> so you can't just prescribe sunshine? Nope. Nope. No prescriptions <laughs> of sunshine. Unless if they're vitamin D deficient, then you can go outside oh, and have some sunshine. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. And you know, before we were called physiatrists, we were actually called doctors of physical therapy. Oh, okay. So as in, but that is a, a honorific that's given to now people who go through a physical therapy program, right? So a, like, so that's a separate um, occupation than a physician who uh, understands physiatry practices, uh, rehabilitation from a medical side. Correct. And physical therapists were called physiotherapists at the time. So oh, initially okay. the... American College of Radiology and Physiotherapy became okay. the American Congress of Rehabilitation Medicine, which is now, and that sort of separated and became AAPMNR, which is the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. So, okay. So strange how we actually were in kind of in combination with radiologists, which we have really no similarity to <laughs> <laughs> well i i can kind of see the the overlap in terms of using radiology in the process of diagnosis of a disability and looking at where someone has their injury or something like that and then getting them better but i i do understand what you're talking about about why those disciplines needed to be separated eventually yeah Absolutely. So now that we've had the very first rehabilitation center in Warm Springs, Georgia, let's talk about who was going to staff it with this, this department. So the very first university department of physical medicine and rehabilitation was founded at Temple University Medical School in 1929 by Dr. Frank Krusen. So it is about almost a decade after, you know, just the concept of a medical rehabilitative spa has been invented. Dr. Krusen acknowledged, he's like, you know, this is a pretty important field of medicine after he contracted tuberculosis, 
another no. popular disease at the time. <laughs> We're playing all the hits right now. We are. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he needed a prolonged stay at a sanatorium. And insultingly, this interrupted his surgical career. <gasps> dun, dun, oh, dun. no. Wait, what, did, was he thinking of maybe doing surgery while violently coughing bacilli into people's wounds? No, he was frustrated that having tuberculosis kept him out of the operating room. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, so recognizing the intense deconditioning that a prolonged bout with TB could give you and the functional deterioration faced by bedbound patients in the sanatorium, Dr. Krusen decided physical medicine should address these problems, goddammit, and become a specialty with a strong scientific basis. <laughs> Okay, so he gained some sympathy by experience. He aggressively complied, maliciously complied, <laughs> studying the effects of physical agents and manipulations on the human body and used physical therapy not only to help himself, but his patients recover and published prolifically. Oh, cool. Well, I mean, uh, Avi, some of your mentors or one of your mentors did gain a love of physiatry by kind of studying or working through some of their own injuries and stuff, right? I think a lot of our our colleagues have. I know several right. colleagues. Uh, there's a colleague. I think we talked about this last time. We had a colleague that was that can't see and he does EMGs, you know, and I think that's wow. part of being interested in physical medicine and, and going through the barriers of disability. I have a colleague that is a spinal cord injured colleague. Actually, I know several that are, and they are in a wheelchair and including one that's a Paralympian that actually is a physiatrist. So I know a lot that have gone through physiatry, not only with disabilities, but because of their disabilities and, and are now physiatrists and can do a lot with that. Oh, cool. So you're saying you have a collection of people with special abilities that they no. use for the good of mankind. Oh, God. <laughs> You're not going to make this happen. No, he's not an X-Man. Santosh, we have a multiverse, and I just heard there's a blind guy who reads muscle twitches <laughs> and another person in a wheelchair who heals the sick. I mean, if that's not a team of X-Men... Okay, okay, fine. Just as long as you don't call them mutants, okay? Of course not. <laughs> yeah. We have a diehard that's a phasic. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> all so, right, all right. Well, yeah. we will get to the Bruce Willis thing in yeah, just a yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think he was a phasic when he was dying hard, but yes, afterwards. Uh, yes. No, no. So, so Dr. Krusen, after a lot of publications, as a result of all his work, was offered a chair in a newly created department of physical medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. There, he began to study the effects of not only exercise, but different physical modalities like shortwave diathermy and ultraviolet radiation on patients with military-related disabilities, post-surgical musculoskeletal complications, and in a foreshadowing for our later in this episode, back pain. 
Um, <laughs> he also, so after a few years there in the 1930s, or later 1930s, he left his position where he then developed a new residency, the very first three-year residency program for physical medicine and rehabilitation, as well as publishing the very first textbook on the topic. He's the one who came up with the term physiatrist. Oh, cool. So we're all the way back in the 1930s. That's intriguing to me because, Avi, at least when you had found your residency, so we're talking about like 2005, 2006, right? Right. Right. I think I think when when you introduced it to me it was still it, it, even all the way in you know 2000 2005 2006 I I don't know that we knew anybody who had gone into this like it wasn't a very you know well-known famous type of uh discipline um, And I'll but, tell you it's still yeah. you, you tell someone hey I'm a physiatrist and they're like, what? What does that mean? Are you a physical therapist? That's, sure, I mean, sure. <laughs> a lot of times that's what I get. And unfortunately, it's, it's an, not, not the newest, but it's a newer, newer specialty sure, in the sense sure. that everybody knows what an internal medicine doctor is or a family medicine doctor is or a, a pediatrician is, right? Sure. But a physiatrist, there's no real meaning to that word unless if you really look it up it's like not something that comes to your mind right so i think that's why physical medicine and rehabilitation sort of explains what we are more than a physiatrist so uh, it's still fascinating to me that the the discipline itself actually has a ton of history from oh, everything yeah. that we're learning right now but that it's been relatively quiet but then when you do have a trained physical therapy and rehabilitation physician or group at your center, especially if you're a a stroke center or a a surgical center, you find out very, very quickly how absolutely essential you guys are. So it's one of those things that you know should really get a lot more shine than it gets. Part of the thing, you know, with aphasias and things like that, other than getting the diagnosis from a neurologist, how do you actually get better from that? And we're the guys that actually make these people somewhat better in in a lot of ways. Other than, I mean, the guidance of the, the physical medicine rehab doctor and the therapists that actually work with them, the, that team can make aphasia much better and can make other things much better. And I think that's the that's the beauty of of PMNR or physiatry. So now that we've kind of led with the creation of the term and the field on the civilian side, I want to mention one other important figure in your field, as I doctor explained to you. <laughs> Let me tell you about your specialty, Avinash. This is totally doctor explaining. I didn't even realize you were doing that. <laughs> only, hey, I love it. only because I'm a nerd for the historical aspects, I make no claim to the actual knowledge in his specialty, just right. the figures. That's fair. So, that's, that's about to be coming, coming up in the, in the next few minutes. So... Now that we've learned about Dr. Krusen, let's talk about Howard Rusk, an internist and graduate of the University of Pennsylvania. In 1941, 
Rusk enlisted in the army, leaving a very successful practice in St. Louis, and joined the Jefferson Barracks, a 1,000-bed hospital. Along with the rest of his belongings, he packed a copy of the recently published Physical Medicine by Dr. Cruson. He then designed simple activities at the barracks to challenge soldiers both physically and mentally during any kind of combat convalescence. And the program was so successful that the military asked him to set up a program for the Army Air Corps. Estimates are that his convalescent training program saved over 5 million man hours during World War II. Uh, Avinash, what's a man hour? Is, like a rehabili- is that a rehabilitative term or is that just no. standard <laughs> military bureaucracy? I, stuff? I think that's military bureaucracy <laughs> stuff. Okay. So that's. <laughs> Tell me about so, Mets. That's different. Yeah, yeah. Know. A man hour is going to be the amount of work that one human being can execute in one hour. So. I mean, how is it like a lazy man hour? No, no. (laughs) It's it's standardized because rather than just saying like hours of work, which you don't know how much work is being done, everything like that. If you sort of have an idea of how much one person can do in about an hour, then you can say that, oh, X amount of man hours were spent on this project. As opposed to child, like child hour well i guess no 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 as as opposed to just hours wouldn't know about that because if you if you say oh this took this many days or this many hours to do then you don't know how many people worked on it um which doesn't give you the full scope of of the effort that was put in but if you say oh it took like 100 man hours then you knew it was you know 100 men working for an hour or one man working for 100 hours or somewhere in between well, so over five I, million man hours. I, I have saying. a problem. I have a problem yeah, with yeah. this term, though. It's well, really yeah. sexist. It should be well, human hours, right? Human hours, person hours. Yeah, but I'm guessing back in uh, where are we back still in the 1940s. This is World War Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is still mostly men hours in the army. <laughs> okay. Well, as disabled veterans arrived at military hospitals. Mm-hmm. The U.S. established the Army Air Force's Convalescent Training Program in 1942 under Dr. Rusk's direction, which focused, again, comprehensive rehabilitation, including physical, neuropsychological, and occupational therapies. And his development of this field on the military side, along with the combination of knowledge gleaned by Dr. Krusen, who invented the field, led Rusk to be named the father of comprehensive rehabilitation, and in 1951, the world's first university-affiliated rehabilitation center at NYU, later renamed the Howard A. Rusk Institute of Rehabilitation Medicine. Uh, So these two characters, Dr. Rusk and Dr. Krusen, really, you know, created, developed, and launched the field, and then as we noted, it kind of fell under the radar. But the the there was a committee on physical medicine formed in 1943 to promote it. And the tagline, such as it was, was to promote the employment of the physical and other effective properties of light, heat, cold, water, electricity, massage, manipulation, exercise, and mechanical devices for physical and occupational therapy in the diagnosis or treatment of disease and rehabilitation. Oh, uh, nice. Or, 
or they called it the restoration of people handicapped by disease, injury, malformation as nearly as possible to a normal physical and mental state. It really sounds like they're setting up the X-Men's danger room. Light, heat, <laughs> cold, water, electricity, <laughs> massage, manipulation, and mechanical <laughs> devices. That's the danger room. We've got our <laughs> Professor X. <laughs> you are not going to convince me that we're not secretly training an incredible force and integrating them into society no you're trying to get people better from devastating injury you nut (laughs) (laughs) avi just to be very fair i mean that is a pretty long list of tools that can be used to help people recover from either surgery or injury or handicap of some type is that fair to say that that kind of you know, I'm sure, for instance, when they were talking about mechanical devices, those have evolved and gotten better over time. But do you think that's a pretty fair list of all of the things that you would use in kind of your arsenal to help people get better? Yeah, I mean, we use all that all the time. Heat, you know, cold. Yeah. All the stuff you mentioned, electricity, uh, ultraviolet radiation. I mean, I mean, name it. We use we use all that. The only thing that we don't use is ionized radiation. Although we kind of oh, yeah. use that because we use X rays to X-rays. inject people. So you know, yeah. Uh, so, I guess that's ionizing radiation. So, <laughs> so we we have moved a little bit past using like straight up radiotherapy, recognizing that it probably won't knit bones together or do something. That's like correct. That. That's yeah, correct. Okay, got it. it caused I mean, we, the wrong kind of mutations. Correct. 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 We don't do that anymore. <laughs> We're not turning people into X-Men, Josh. <laughs> well, of course, that's what you want us to believe. What are you doing right now? Are you thinking that he's back there, like secret projects going on that he can't tell us about on our podcast? <laughs> no, be- no, that's that's just on the painless health. You got to listen to my podcast for that. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> cross promoting. <laughs> See, that's how it becomes painless. Eh? <laughs> Exactly. So now that we've learned a little bit about some of the founding figures in your field, let's talk about what is certainly one of the more common in an acute hospital setting diagnosis, low back pain. Right. Yeah. I think this is one of the toughest things, uh, especially for you, Josh, but we do have more and more pediatric low back pain because of... uh, weight issues and lack of exercise in children. And so much of this is, if you have a general pediatrician, for instance, who doesn't know some of the basic principles that you have, Abby, and some of the techniques and like kind of refined steps and everything to go through, you just get assigned like, oh, just go do some exercise, kind of like that. And rather than taking a whole person approach, it's kind of disjointed. And I think a lot of people who go down that path fail a lot. And a percentage of those then are going to end up with really scary things like addiction um, for medication or depression from the pain. Absolutely. We see low back pain and it's so common in people. I'll tell you at least now – of the people that are listening to this podcast, there's probably about 50% that have low back pain right now as they're oh. listening to this podcast. 
That means and one of these hosts. <laughs> Probably. Probably. I'm, I'm, do, yeah. I'm doing okay. I just... Oh, oh God, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't it, have to be. <laughs> and look, some people have back pain or even neck pain. I'll, I'll include neck pain in this, okay? But neck pain and back pain are so ubiquitous that, you know, I've had experiences with neck pain in the last year where I've had to go to a physical therapist. And I felt better with it, but I've had that experience. I've had experience with back pain. I think most people in their lifetime will have some experience with low back pain or neck pain. That's bad enough that they need to go to a therapist or have an injection or something like that. So it is so ubiquitous and so common that it is really important to know what to do with people like that, especially if you're, if we're having more pediatric patients with it. And I've seen, I've seen kids with neck pain and back pain, their sensation or their, their way of expressing their pain is very different than an adult would be where we can say, Oh, my pain is here. And it feels like this Uh kid won't say that. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. It, and it depends on, of course, their age maturity level. So we have the very classic back pain that happens in around teenage years, especially if they're not taking care of themselves. There's problems maybe with obesity or just deconditioning, you know, just sitting for really, really long periods of time. But they're also growing. So they're not able to localize and tell you exactly what's going on very well. And, you know, of course, the, the classic thing is musculoskeletal deconditioning and in that case going straight to someone in physical medicine and rehabilitation is an excellent you know first step because you can get them back to themselves pretty quickly but we don't want to miss something like uh you know skeletal injury or an issue with a disc or or heaven, heaven forbid you know, with uh, as a good diagnostician, um, something even scarier like maybe cancer, like osteosarcoma, um, right. which can happen either in the legs, hips, or spine. And so, I, I know that I've worked in partnership with our PMNR folks when we've had that general kind of diagnosis of back pain, and you can't get the kid to quite describe what's going on. But the physiatrist in that case has not only been hey, I'll help you with your pain, but let's actually first better diagnose what's going on so we can uh, you know, address the source of it if we need to. So yeah. I guess really what we're asking is, how do you solve a problem like low back pain? <laughs> <laughs> how do you diagnose and pin it down? Yeah. <laughs> how do you solve a problem like low back pain? <laughs> oh. A muscle spasm, <laughs> nerve dysfunction. Yeah. A clown. <laughs> Avi, or, Josh, Josh is being your senior nuns in this particular analog of Sound of Music. And uh, in this case, low back pain is going to become a weird governess who eventually marries a captain. Not really sure where else I can take it, but that's just been floating through my head most of the episode. <laughs> oh, geez. That was a perfect uh, parody. Yeah. So 
<laughs> Avi, so what are your first steps when, when someone presents? And I, I know you're a, an adult medicine doctor. So do you, when a person comes to you, have they already been diagnosed as having musculoskeletal pain or do you go through a diagnostic workup first to check like, Hey, is there another source of pain that we have to address? I always do a neurological exam. That is like the first thing after, after doing a history, you know, and asking them what, how long have they had the pain? Blah, 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 blah. You know, Mm -hmm. when the pain started, how did it start? What did you do? Did you lift a heavy box? Did you carry your grandmother? You know, what is it? But, you know, (laughs) people tend to box your grandmother. Yeah. You know, something, (laughs) you know, how did it start? When did it start? And that's the first thing to ask. Then you go to the part where, okay, let's do a physical exam. And the physical exam starts from. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Head to toe, of course, even if it's just back pain, you want to see if they have any neurological issues on their upper half. Because what happens if they have something like MS? There was a patient, I remember this patient specifically, who I saw in the hospital, who a doctor, one of the orthopedic surgeons said, hey, this patient has back pain radiating to their legs. They need an epidural. And I go and see her and I'm like, "Uh, you are spastic on your upper half and lower half on one side. I'm like, this is not coming from your back. There's something else going on. And I went through the whole history and everything. And sure enough, I ordered the MRIs and she had MS. You know, you have to go through the whole thing and do a neurological exam. And that is the key to finding what's going on with the person. You know, if it's musculoskeletal, well, a neurological exam are, is usually normal. If it's coming from a nerve, then it will be likely abnormal. Or if it's coming from the brain, it'll be even more abnormal. So that's the first thing. And that really makes a big difference as far as what's going on. Value value there absolutely as a diagnostician as well as, you know, assigning therapy and, and finding the best uh, kind of rehabilitation pathway. So both both skills, that's wonderful. Yeah, so, you know, we have... Things that are musculoskeletal, one of the most common things for kids with low back pain and sports injuries are very common that cause low back pain. Not only the people that are sitting still and getting obese, but people also have sports injuries and that, that can cause low back pain. So those patients, oftentimes they may have something like a PARS fracture in their low back, 
which okay. is a fracture of the, uh, it's essentially near the joint in the back. That can cause low back pain and can be unstable and may even need surgery or they may need some sort of bracing. So then we figure out what's the next step. You know, do we brace them? Do we stop them from doing sports? Do we, do we see what's going on with that? You know, what's the next step? So we do all that stuff as far as treating patients with low back pain, even doing sports medicine, which you think of orthopedic, orthopedic surgeons doing that a lot, but physiatrists are actually a huge part of sports medicine too. When should somebody come to see you for low back pain? Because usually we, we often recommend, you know, start with your primary care doc and work your way up the chain. So what would be the kind of flags that should go up that say, hey, this may be something that I need to escalate beyond just a casual office visit? Or is this so something th that should come to you to begin with? It, it can go either way. So if the low back pain is recurrent and bothersome enough that they're coming to a doctor, they could come to us because we would probably treat it differently or have a little bit more thorough exam initially in the sense that we would look for different things with, with back pain. So it, it depends on where you're at and how easy access you have to a physiatrist. But in, in the case of where we're at, I don't mind seeing anybody with low back pain because I would probably treat them a little bit differently and probably get things approved a little bit quicker in this medical society that we have now, because I know what to write to the insurance companies and say, hey, we need an MRI because this person have an, has a neurological issue or this person has this or that, or they're a high risk for something. And oftentimes that sometimes gets delayed because they go to a primary care doctor who writes for the MRI, but it gets denied on some stupid insurance basis. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. So as in, if the the language is wrong on the referral or if they, yeah. they didn't use the right kind of buzzwords or if they, uh, if they ordered the wrong um, specific like CPT code or what, you know, all, all these kinds the, of the wrong ICD code. Yeah. Got it. So got in it, this, it. so in this facility of differently abled healers, you have back channels to the government oh to get God. approval <laughs> for for body altering procedures healing body healing i just want to make sure i'm laying this all out for our listening audience at home who may not be as familiar with the medical jargon that's all just you're gonna get someone running off to avi thinking that like she could turn them into Wolverine. I'm just trying to make sure that he doesn't have his door broken you down. You mean by Wolverine's, by... Wolverine's ability for accelerated healing? What? <sighs> Fine. So so <laughs> you're telling me people shouldn't go to see Avi if they want to heal faster? <laughs> because I feel like that's not the message we want to spread, Santosh. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I, I have a story to tell you because... Santos tries to heal people different ways, you know. What? Um, I, there was a time in uh, med school where he was using foam swords. Yeah, we. I, I was part of a LARPing society, live action role playing called Ant Guard. Yeah, we hit each other with foam swords. Absolutely. This was like right when we when we moved in together. Yeah, and. This guy comes with all these swords into the like foam swords into yeah. our our apartment. I'm like, 
oh my God, who is this guy? <laughs> it was like, oh my God, is he going to hit me with these things? What is going on? You know, eventually what happened is they they got to like wooden sword. You're not going to tell them about the time I damaged the walls, did you? Uh, in the other apartment? Yes. That's, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. So we were having a dinner one time and, and, and you had this wooden sword that you hit through the ceiling, right? You kind of made a hole up there. Well, well, I, <laughs> I was just swinging and I didn't realize how low the ceiling was. Yeah. We patched it before we left. Did you paint it? We've been over this before. We don't paint. We just spackle. <laughs> you, just, you just spackle. <laughs> and, and now we're right back to where we started. <laughs> well, I try to paint my patients, you know, try to get them better. No, no, paint. stop it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do, you can't just told like, you, try hey, to, hey, you can't wing you a Josh warned. segue. <laughs> you were warned about the segues this episode, Santosh. <laughs> yeah, but not the horrible puns and the weird song parodies but let's do so let's do kind of a brief differential so we've spoken about some of the things that physical medicine and rehabilitation can do for low back pain and your your diagnostic process as a hospitalist internal medicine doc one of my favorite things to do one of the things all my students hate me for is coming up with a differential diagnosis That's right. honestly word. the greatest joy of my day coming up with a huge laundry list of things that it could be probably isn't but maybe we should check out sure oh, so, yeah. <laughs> okay so let's let's throw out a couple of the differentials and then you t- you can tell me what are some of the more common things that you do see when you're dealing with low back pain because I'm in a hospital setting, so actually one of the most common reasons I see it, which I know is not the most common cause, is an actual spinal infection. If the infection gets into the bone, like an osteomyelitis. Right, which is terrible. Or if somebody's had some kind of acute trauma, whether it's a car accident that has led to a spinal fracture or a fall, or getting hit with some kind of wooden sword as part of Aikido training, um, <laughs> you know, I you can have, hate anybody. <laughs> you can end up with, you know, small hairline fractures in the cylindrical vertebrae, in which the bone essentially caves in on itself. Uh, now, more commonly, this is something you see in older people. It's due to weak bones, Correct. such as osteoporosis. Um, or you can have, you know, just spinal deformities, things like uh, scoliosis, which is, the curvature of the spine where it's going the wrong way or kyphosis, which we more commonly know as a hunchback like that of Notre Dame. Nice. (laughs) Or one of the ones that's fun to say, it's like a band's name, spondylolithesis, which is when one vertebrae kind of just slides on over the adjacent one, you know, right into its DMs. (laughs) And... Yeah, and and that's that actually can happen with the we talked about the pars fractures. That's a common thing that happens with pars fractures that that you get spondylolisthesis. Yeah, and that's that's why patients have pain. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So all three of those are kind of bone related. Now infectious ones, that's that's more your waterhouse of uh, of solutions, Santosh. Wheelhouse. Yes. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i mean it's it's a water wheel (laughs) yeah i'm gonna steam power right through this (laughs) oh god so we we 
actually have osteomyelitis much more commonly in long bones in children. So where they're in the femur or the tibia, so around the knee, or perhaps uh, in the humerus. But we're, we'll occasionally have it uh, in the spine. Some of the stuff that we really dread uh, have to do with uh, tuberculosis. So Pots children who... Yeah, yeah. So children who grow up where tuberculosis is endemic, it's much easier in a small child for TB to become disseminated outside of the lungs or even have primary disease outside of the lungs and end up in a place like a spine. And uh, it's really destructive. But the other problem with it is it's very, um, it's insidious. So you can't really easily differentiate it from a lot of other causes of back pain, especially in a younger child who's not able to describe what's going on. So when when we have a patient who'll have vertebral osteomyelitis or discitis or, you know, also osteomyelitis from tuberculosis rather than kind of classic bacteria like staph, the first thing that we have to do is get an appropriate diagnosis. We have to treat there's medical treatment and surgical treatment, but then during the actual therapy and then afterward, rehabilitation is a really, really big deal because Absolutely. otherwise the, yeah. So the scary thing at that age is that the pain can become misdiagnosed as, you know, just kind of, it can be sadness or you know, refusal to play, something like that. And that can cascade very quickly into the kid becoming, you know, lethargic, couch potato, not wanting to move, not wanting to do any exercise. And then you get into a really bad downward spiral where, you know, you're deconditioned. So you don't want to get up and move. So you suffer more and chronic pain. And then again, you don't want to move. So that kind of setup, especially in adolescence, can make for like ruining an adulthood, which is really scary. So one of the things that you mentioned there was osteomyelitis of the spine. One of the more common ways of getting that is when someone is an IV drug user. So when you see an adolescent with that, you probably want to think about that as what's going on. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so so is the... there a certain age range? Is there a certain age range that you see most commonly? Like, obviously, Santosh deals primarily in small humans, and mm-hmm. I deal mostly in humans over the age of forty. I mean, sometimes I'll see people outside that range, but most time we're looking over forty, and usually it's over seventy. So, what kind of cross section of society? do you see in your practice? I think I, I, my cross-section of society is mostly like yours, Josh. Most of my patients are between the ages of, say, 60 to, uh, I guess, 60 to 100. You know, if I see someone younger than that, I really think, is there a, a different cause, other than, oh, they lifted something heavy and, you know, mm-hmm. had a disc that slipped out of place or something weird like that. But I'm thinking, okay, is there something like, uh, you know, hypermobility syndrome, or is there something else that's going on, a rheumatological disease? Is there something yes. else that's causing this back pain? It's not the actual 
you know, simple osteoarthritis or facet disease or you know, spinal stenosis, which are the three top diagnoses. I just wanted to put that there. But those are the top okay. three things I'll see in elderly people. But if they're younger than that, I'm always thinking, ooh, what else is going on? Why do they have back pain at the age of, for example, someone at the age of 42, 43, and you see them with pretty severe back pain for the last 10 years, and you're like, this is not caused by, you know, just sitting still or, you know, something like that, unless if they're, you know, crazy. But for the sure. most part, those patients don't have pain that's coming from a non-rheumatological or something else, genetic type condition that's causing their pain. Rather than being like primary back pain, it's, Correct. Um, there's an underlying disease. Correct. Um, and I, I know we don't like to use those terms because that kind of dismisses people who suffer from chronic back pain just as like from multifactorial, you know, musculoskeletal kind of. I think everybody here understands what you're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's people can have back pain from, you know, they're hard laborers or they've lifted something too heavy or they have a, you know, 25 pound child that, that is disabled that they have to carry around all the time or, you know, something sure. like that. But when they have back pain that has no certain cause and they look quote unquote normal, <laughs> uh, sure. that's a weird term, but if they look yeah. <laughs> normal and they don't have any psychological background, you think, what is wrong? This is not your typical osteoarthritis back pain, you know, in their, in their 40s or even early 50s sometimes. I'm like, why do they have this? Is there something else going on? And oftentimes I'll find something like a hypermobility syndrome, which is, you know, if you're a hospitalist, right, Josh, uh, you're not looking for a hypermobility syndrome when they're coming to the hospital with back pain, right? If they're hypermobile, I'm sending them out of the hospital. Exactly. They, but, they, can hyper, they can hyper their way all the way out the door. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you're not looking for that. When they're in my clinic, though, and they've had back pain for 10 years and they're going, going to the hospital three times a year because of their back pain and, you know, they're being the hospitalist and the ER doctor is like, I don't know why this guy's back here with back pain. That's when I'm like, okay, we have to figure out what's going on. This is just not normal back pain. So that's when we look at other things. So and, it, it really depends what age range that we're looking at. And okay. this really impacts how you approach your therapy, right? Because, I mean, first of Correct. all, you're, you're going to say, for instance, if they have a rheumatologic disease, oh, we're going to have to work together with a rheumatologist to get anti-inflammatories and such. But Correct. It, it also changes what sort of therapies that you would prescribe. Correct. I mean, someone with a rheumatological condition, I'd be like, well, we can't do those things. We have to do these things, you know. Uh, right. So for someone with a rheumatological condition, I don't want to inflame their back. So I'm not going to tell them to go do all this, you know, the, the therapies that I would tell someone that is obese and not moving. So right. it's going to be very different because they can't do the things that the other people do. Now, one of the things we constantly sort of harp on in the hospital is walking. You know, if somebody is coming in with low back pain, we don't want them just laying in bed. We want them to be up and active, you know, even for three to five minutes, moving bed to chair, those kinds of things. Is that something that sort of carries over into a lot of the low back pain you see? Or are there times when you really do want people to 
you know, stay off their feet and just lay about. I honestly never want anybody to lay about. I think, <laughs> I think unless if they have something that is neurological, neurologically unstable, should say it that way, they, that's when they really need to lay about and, you know, otherwise they're going to compromise their neurologic system even more. But someone that isn't like that, someone with musculoskeletal pain, they need to move. That's how they get better. I mean, it's, and I've seen it with my own, own self even in the sense that if I don't exercise my low back and I'm wearing lead all day long, I am going to get back pain. So I have to exercise it to make it stronger so that when I wear lead, it doesn't hurt. And and why would you need to be wearing lead all day long, Avinash? Oh. Uh, I do epidural steroid injections and facet injections for low back pain and neck pain and all those things. And in order to do them, we have to use an x-ray machine. And in order to prevent those x-rays from radio, er, from causing my genes to mutate, I wear a lead drape. <laughs> so protect so your gear to protect you're yourself children. from mutations. Correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know, Santosh. Sounds pretty X-Men-y like. <laughs> okay. More relevant question. Avi, I think, and actually Josh, we probably all remember a time not too long ago um, even when maybe a little bit before we were medical students, where rest was super, super important as part of getting better, especially from something like a fracture or surgery. Uh, Avi, right. do, you, do you remember or, or did anybody kind of tell you about when that kind, that whole idea changed in terms of, oh, just take it easy until it's time to get better versus the type of approach that we take nowadays. And I think your field actually has had a lot of influence on orthopedic surgery and general surgery and even OBGYN in terms of getting up after like a C-section. And right. do, you, do you know when that kind of shifted? Was that recent or is it just that the idea has always been there and it's just, you know, like some of us have not had not grasped it because we were not PMNRs. No, I think it's a more recent thing. And, uh, uh, you know, to the point where, you know, in the forties, when people were getting injured, they'd be in a rest house, you know, they were in a spa type condition and now they're, and now they're actually, you know, in a rehabilitation place where they're moving around because studies and, and have shown that moving around like, prevents very angry with you. Yeah, and prevent and moving around prevents injury from getting worse or injury to cause more pain later. And moving around has actually so one of the studies, interesting study. They, you know, we talk about runners, and I'm a runner, so runners cause. You know, they they say that runners have bad knees. Is that necessarily true? Do you guys know? I don't know. My knees are fine. Are you a runner? Uh, not hyper marathons, but I, I like to do the occasional 5K every now and again. Okay. Santosh, I know you've run in the past. I, 
Yeah, absolutely. Only when chased. So, <laughs> that chased like C-H-A-S-T-E. <laughs> when I was running very frequently, so I, I ran a lot in medical school and at the beginning of my residency. And when I took good care of myself and I also did some weights to kind of build the muscles to stabilize around my knee. And um, also learn to run with proper technique, then I, I did really well. Now that unfortunately I'm quite deconditioned, when I try to go out to run, there is quite a period of time where I'm readjusting and I'm scared that I'm like, oh my God, I'm injuring myself. But it's probably because I have more like instability from my quadriceps and hamstrings and everything just being a bit weak. Right. So. The studies show that people that run actually have longer telomeres, which can cause extended lifetimes, and also they develop less osteoarthritis in their knees long-term, which is very interesting. So people that actually develop osteoarthritis in their knees are because of injuries to the knees prior to running, and then they run on those injuries. That's when they develop more osteoarthritis. Like but they then they lengthen their through. telomeres, but they lengthen yeah. their telomeres, so they are literally outrunning death. Correct. So if you really want okay. to be an X-Men, what you need to be is an ultra ma- <laughs> ultra marathoner. <laughs> See, Josh, oh, you have man. to work for it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I can't even just mutate my – forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Avi, so you're talking about with the osteoarthritis – People who try to kind of run through their pain, like they, they don't recognize that like, hey, something hurts and maybe I should stop and, and get this checked out or something. Exactly. They need to stop if it hurts. Got and it. sometimes all it needs is strengthening, as you have noticed. So when I started running, I could run about five miles and then I would get severe pain in my like lateral upper upper leg, I guess it was kind of in my greater trochanter. And I realized that I had, Hey, hey, uh, this is a family show. (laughs) I realized I had gluteus minimus weakness. Okay. (laughs) And I strengthened those by doing specific exercises to, to train those muscles. And then I started running longer and longer and longer, eventually got to a marathon. So nice. For so, everybody who didn't understand that, Avi's small butt hurt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show. <laughs> uh, is that going to get cut? Nope. Okay. <laughs> well, not not for our edited version of the episode, but I don't know. I don't know what Avinash wants to do with his copy. Oh, we'll have so, fun with it. Oh, sure. So that's it for this week. Before we close out, what are some take-home things? What's the most important pearls that you want people to know about low back pain? So low back pain is is ubiquitous. So many people have it that it, you're not alone and Make sure you talk to someone, whether your primary care doctor, your physiatrist, your pain medicine doctor, your pediatrician. Make sure you talk to someone about it and tell them that you have low back pain and tell them how long you've had it and give them a good history because it's so common that 
you should get some treatment for it if you're having pain because it could be something more severe. You want to make sure that you don't have, you know, as you said, cancer or some sort of neurological promise and you want to have a good exam. So that said, the reason history is so important, not every low back pain is a crisis that is going to threaten your life. Sometimes it is just a muscle sprain or something that will resolve on its own. So that history Correct. is real key. Um, pay attention to what's going on around you when you start noticing the back pain and see what else, what other details you can fill in. Exactly. So that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. You can also hear more about all the different ways to achieve painless health over on the Painless Health Podcast. Where can they find that? You can find it on Apple Music or, sorry, Apple Podcasts. I wish I was on Apple Music. That would be cool, right? Uh, it's also on Spotify and uh, all your other podcast places you can find podcasts. Wherever podcasts you. are sold. Exactly. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Santosh. Really appreciate <laughs> being on here. I always have a lot of fun talking to you guys. We learn oh, we so love much. We love having you. Um, so until next time. Oh, I almost forgot some of the outro. Let's see what's left. The show is produced by me with a ton of help. From Dr. Santosh and friends, our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time, as always, wash your hands, get your shot, do all the hygienic things, please. Be safe, protect those around you, find a country that's open. And when you've done all those things, get out there, have fun, and happy travels. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.